Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. Here we are for the Nonprofit Exchange. This edition is, um, is our guest, Maria Roth, is a story to tell. And it's a story that's so important today about the work that she's doing with this organization called Impact Living Services. So thank you for being with us and sit down, put down your pen and paper and just listen, actually. Listen to the story that, that she's gonna tell and see how you can step up to provide value wherever it is that you wanna provide value. Um, we have a gentleman listening to this podcast, Bob Hopkins, who uh, taught me a lot about philanthropy. It's the love of humankind. And that's what we do. We, we share our love with, with other people who need it the most. So Maria is my guest today for the Nonprofit Exchange. We're seven and a half years into some really good interviews with people doing good work. And, um, and you were telling the story of your work. Tell people a little bit about who you are and what is your passion? Sure. Um, so my name is Maria Rolf, and uh, currently my role is with Impact Living Services. I'm their mission advancement officer. Uh, prior to that, my background, really uh, my college and, and postgraduate work was in education and theology. And so academia was kind of my field I love theology, I love studying God's word, um, and I love teaching, and that's sort of the field that I was in, that was my, that was my zone. Um, so I'm in a totally different field than where I thought I would be, and totally different field than even what I was doing four years ago. This role with impact kind of fell into my lap um, at sort of a transition period of my life, and uh, it's really changed everything for me. So uh, Impact Living Services is an organization that started in 2012. And really, it started to answer one problem, and that was that youth who age out of foster care have really terrible outcomes. And so it started here in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, it's since expanded to five different cities in Virginia now. And uh, started out as an independent living program helping youth who are transitioning at 18 from foster care into adulthood. Um, so I started out basically signing up for a role that I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I can tell you a little bit more about how I even got interested in that. But essentially, they were looking for somebody who would teach life skills and mentor. 18 to 20 year olds who were aging out of foster care. And I uh, found out about that opportunity through a friend and you know, had kind of an informal interview and found myself accepting a part-time job that I had no idea what I was doing, but decided to say yes to something that was very outside of my box. And it has been um, one of the most significant decisions I've ever made. What, um, give us some of the facts that got your attention that inspired you to want to do this. Yeah. Well, before I get into all the, you know, the nitty gritty statistics, I think what got my attention on foster care 
in particular. You know, my, my church has a foster care initiative probably for the last 10 or so years. And so I had been around foster care conversations. I had friends who were fostering and I knew, I knew that there were a lot of kids who have great needs and, and really felt like the church needed to be the ones to open up their homes and be safe families for these kids. And I knew it was hard, but I think I really did not realize how difficult the road after foster care is. And what, what really started getting me interested in this is uh, for a couple years right after I got married, I lived in Texas with my husband and I got to have lunch with this extraordinary lady named Rebecca Jowers. She, run, she runs an anti-human trafficking organization in Dallas called Poema and um, got to grab lunch with her and pick her brain a little bit about just some of the issues of human trafficking in the States. You know, I think a lot of people know human trafficking exists. It's a big issue around the world. The spotlight is on it, even here in the States, but a lot of us don't know what it even looks like or what's feeding this monster. And I grabbed lunch with her and I was just asking her about the, the realities of that in the Dallas area where she has this ministry and, um, you know, I was just kind of blown away at how huge of a problem it is here in the States. And I said, what is the main thing that's feeding this? And she said, hands down, it's the foster care system. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, honestly, Maria, there, there are more kids than can be kept up with properly, for one. Um, there are unfortunately people who get into fostering with ulterior motives. Um, there are parents who are drug addicted or, you know, name the addiction, uh, who will traffic their own children to feed their own addiction. I mean, it is, it is the thing that is feeding it here. And I was shocked. I just, I hadn't made that connection that it was really a, a direct pipeline into human trafficking. And that conversation just, I could not shake it. Um, you know, she, she gave me a lot of different ideas for how to kind of help fight against it there. And as we were, um, we were getting ready to make a transition back to Virginia, I really just was praying that, that the Lord would give me some kind of opportunity to do something about that. Because um, it's bigger than trafficking and it's bigger than just the foster system. I mean, we're just talking about really vulnerable people <laughs> that need that need a lot of people to come around them and help them get out of their situation. And so that is that is what got me interested in working with foster kids. And that's what uh, when I saw a friend post something about mentoring youth aging out of foster care, I thought I'm going to check into that. So I did. And you came here from Dallas. Yeah, originally I was living here in Lynchburg for about um, 15 or 16 years mm -hmm. and then moved to Dallas when I got married in 2016, lived there for about two and a half years. And then, you know, Lynchburg just always has a way of calling people back. So, <laughs> so my husband and I ended up moving back here in 2018. And that's when I started working with Impact. Wow. So um, we think of human trafficking as being something that's a problem over there, wherever, yeah. wherever over there is, but it's not here. So I guess it's all around us. It's what's, what's, how big is this? 
Oh, it's massive. You know, I think working with this population has made me realize how proximate it is to, to me. Um, you know, you, you start working, let's put the, let's put the titles foster care aside, right? These are, these are kids, these are people. And these kids come out of really hard families that live in really hard neighborhoods that exist in our own cities. And it's really easy to just not see those communities. It's, it's really easy to live a life that is very siloed apart from, you know, broken communities and communities where there where this kind of thing is just getting perpetuated, right? So I, I start working and I start working with impact. And, you know, at the time we had 10 or 11 youth in our program. And as I'm getting acquainted with them and getting acquainted with their stories, I, and understanding even where they grew up, which was, you know, 10 minutes from my own home, maybe at most, I'm, I'm finding stories of, like I said, girls whose parents are drug addicted and figured out that they can traffic their own children to help feed their addiction. I find out that there are kids whose parents don't want the burden of raising their kid and, you know, kept them at a at an auto mechanic garage and raised them there, you know, kids who have endured every possible horrific form of abuse uh, known to mankind. And, you know, you, you read through their files and then you just sit across from them and you see a real person. And, um, and you realize that that person grew up that way 10 minutes from where you live and you realize, man, there are issues that I had no idea were so proximate and so prevalent in my own very, pretty small, comparatively pretty safe community. Um, you don't see it until you see it. And then you can't stop seeing it. It's, it's everywhere. So. So um, you, your work probably has several facets, but you mentioned, um, helping, helping the, the kids learn life skills. Now, are these girls only or are they boys and girls? Oh, boys and girls. Yep. Ages 18 to 20 in our independent living program. Okay. Uh, and so um, they don't necessarily get those skills in foster care. Right. Or in school. <laughs> right. Well, you know, a lot of them bounce, have bounced around from home to home to home or group home, or occasionally we have youth who come to us from juvenile detention. That's not as, not as frequent, but um, when we talk about aging out, we're talking about kids, really not kids, they're youth who are turning 18. And for whatever reason, to no fault of their own, they did not get adopted. You know, they were taken out of their home because of reasons X, Y, and Z was not safe but they did not get adopted and um, they are now aging out. And so most of them have just bounced around from home to home to home, very little consistency. You know, some of them went back and forth to their biological family and back into a different foster family and back to their biological family. And so things that 
you know, were normally modeled for for someone who stayed with their parents most of their life, like even as simple as learning how to use a, uh, excuse me, learning how to use a thermostat or, <laughs> um, you know, things, things from learning how to use a thermostat to just going to work, <laughs> you know, things that were just modeled for us uh, were not modeled for them. And so, Yes, we do life skills, we do um, mentoring, we help try to remove all of the barriers that could keep them from succeeding. Because when they turn 21, they are really on their own. And we wanna make sure that they have everything they need to succeed and thrive. Wow. You know, we, we take so much for granted that it's just people are gonna learn. Um, and, um, Later on in this interview, I'll open up for some questions. I know what some of those questions might be, but let's let's delve further. So, um, what you studied theology, you didn't study what you're doing. So, how did you acquire the Yale? So, we have a we have a I think a crisis in our, our nonprofits in that people are doing things that they really don't know how to do. So, the reason we do the show is to help people get inspiration and how do we transition from where my degrees are in music i'm a musical conductor i i, I was in music ministry for 40 years um so i i ran big programs so I, it was it was learning by default you know you had to learn how to do it because you had all these hundreds of people to move around and get to places so um fortunately i i had run a business and i knew how to do some structure and had studied some of the things that i had to do but I tried to transition from just leading a choir to leading programs and, and working on some of the what's called soft skills, which may be part of what you do under the category of soft skills, but they have a hard impact on people's lives. So talk about your journey of personal development and personal growth to be able to work in this different space. Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, even, um, even though my job was in the academic world, uh, my heart has always been for people because God's heart is for people. And so, you know, if you are <laughs> any, any theologian worth the salt, <laughs> better love people because God loves people. So my, my outlet for, for doing that had mostly been through mentoring and discipling in my local church. And I, love discipleship. I love investing in others. I walked through life with a group of kindergarten girls all the way up till they were in high school because I believe so much in mentorship and life on life. I think that is, um, that's the model Jesus gave us, you know, he, he came to dwell with us. And so that for, for a lot of reasons was um, just a big part of who I was, just an expression of who God is. Um, but <laughs> so, so all that said, investment in others, I think, was a way that, you know, just a ministry that God gave me to live out my theology. What I didn't realize is that most of my life was even, even the parts where I was living that out in mentoring, um, it was all still within kind of almost a faith-based context where, or a church context or a Christian context, uh, which is good. I mean, I think 
I think that's, that's not a bad thing, but nothing about my life was touching anybody that grew up radically different, radically differently than I did. And nothing about my life was rubbing shoulders with the kind of communities that some of our youth are coming out of. And, you know, I'll tell you what a, a quick story of what really rattled that whole concept for me. The conversation, the lunch that I had with Rebecca from Poema, the human traffic, anti-human trafficking organization, she told me a story about <clears throat> one of the things that they do is courtroom advocacy, right? Because you get these, you, you, they find these kids who are coming out of who are being trafficked and, and obviously it's a criminal offense and they've got to go to trial and it's just more trauma, right? And a lot of these kids who are being found and have been trafficked are just brainwashed and they have nobody. So one of the things that they do is they provide courtroom advocates for these mostly girls, just so that these girls have somebody in the courtroom with them that's on their team you know, that they can look back and say, that person's got my back and, and I can stand up to this person that's been exploiting me. Um, she was telling me the story of, she was, she was basically a courtroom advocate for this girl who'd come out of foster care. And the guy who had been pimping her out, basically, um, the person who'd been exploiting her was a classmate. Hmm. He was a boy in her own class who had figured out that this girl was super vulnerable and did not have a whole lot of eyes on her. And he had figured out that she could be sold to people that he knew would pay money. Um, he figured out that he could get away with that and no one would notice. And um, so she's telling me this story and the boy in the story who had basically been her pimp showed zero remorse for what he had gotten caught doing. You know, the, the prosecution is there and the whole time he's got this smug look on his face and he's almost kind of proud of what he had accomplished. And, you know, they bring his mom up as a witness and she kind of almost makes excuses for him. And, and even when he got his sentence, he just had this smug smirk on his face like he was proud of the work that he had done. And so Rebecca is telling me this story and the whole time I'm like getting so angry at this kid. Like I'm, I'm hating this boy, you know, for, for ruining this girl's life and for not even feeling the slightest bit sorry. And, you know, Rebecca tells me he gets 10 or 15 years in jail. And I said, good, I'm so glad he's gonna get what he deserves. And I will never, ever forget Rebecca's response because she looked at me with, with tears in her eyes. And you gotta understand, this woman has seen the absolute worst coming out of human trafficking. I mean, she has seen the worst. So her compassion, I would assume, would be completely centered on this girl who's been victimized by this kid. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and her compassion was for that boy who just had his life sentenced to jail. And she said, yes, it is good that justice is served. But the thing is that boy was mentored by somebody. Like he didn't just become a pimp 
because he thought it up. Somebody got in his life and taught him how to do that. Somebody got in his life, saw his potential to become that way and mentored him to figure out how to do that to girls like this. And it is so unfortunate that there are more people stepping up to the plate to mentor for that kind of evil than there are people who will open their eyes and see the vulnerable in their own cities and see the vulnerable in their own communities and say, no, not on my watch. Like I see that boy and I see his leadership potential and I see his charismatic personality and I see the world of good that he could do. And I'm gonna get in his life and help him beat the odds, you know? And it blew my mind <laughs> that mentoring the vulnerable has to come from both ends of that, you know, the, both the victims and the victimizers need mentors, people that are going to get in their life and say, not on my watch. It's, um, it, it's, it's a, almost a mandate of our, of our faith. We have, I'll point out that we do have um, a community represented of multi, multiple faiths. We have Muslims, we have Jews and Christians and most likely some others, but those are the three dominant uh, Abrahamic religions. Yeah. Um, but we do fall short sometimes with our institutions. Some of us right now, some, some churches and synagogues especially are just trying to stay open and they're kind of working on their own, their own structure. When I do find that the organizations that are outwardly focused uh, working to help others and giving um, are doing a lot better today. So um, how do um, people of faith, no matter, no matter what their faith is, how can we work together? I mean, it, does Impact Living Services work alone or do you work in collaboration with other entities? Oh yeah, we are big on collaboration. Yeah, I mean, we, we want a community around these youths. You know, so it can't just be us and our programming and our staff and then, you know, kick out of the nest. <laughs> you know, we, we want people that are going to be in their lives for the long haul. So some of that is on professional levels. You know, we've got we've got professional counselors and we've got, you know, professional mentors and caseworkers. Um, but we collaborate with other other nonprofits, other organizations. Um, for instance, we've got another organization here in town that uh, does amazing job of caring for underprivileged or vulnerable, um, I just say at-risk families. Uh, it's, it's called the Healthy Families Program. And, you know, with our youth, the stats are three out of four girls are single moms by the time they turn 19. And, um, you know, We've, we've got several girls who all had babies during COVID, you know, and so we are really happy to link arms with the Healthy Families Program because they are helping our girls understand how to use WIC, understand all of the resources that, that our hospital system has here for, for girls like them. You know, they're helping make sure that their babies are going to all their appointments and, you know, making sure that they get a, a community of other young moms around them. So that's, man, we love partnering with other like-minded organizations, but um, 
personally, I'm looking for mentors. I'm looking for people who, you know, you don't, it is, it is not rocket science to <laughs> teach a kid life skills or more importantly, just be, be their community. You know, it's, it does, you do not have to have a degree in social work to invite a 19 year old who has grown up bouncing around from home to home to home to come enjoy a meal with you and go to your kid's soccer game, you know, or to spend Christmas with your family or to, you know, take them out for ice cream, just be a person that invests in their life and knows their story. And as a person they can call when, you know, they, they pop their tire in a couple years or they just need someone to talk to, or, you know, they're on the brink. Um, we need, we need just people who are going to invest in their lives for the long haul. And that, that can be anybody. Love it. Um, I'm going to do a sponsor moment. Then are you willing to take some questions from people uh, listening? Absolutely. All right. We'll go to go to our audience and see if they have some questions. So our sponsor is, is a, it's a printer, but it's really um, our, uh, we publish a magazine, nonprofit performance 360 magazine. And our printer is actually a direct mail company, WordSprint. And there are ads in the back here. WordSprint helped us determine that we need to stay in touch with our donors. So most of the uh, income from most nonprofits comes from individual donors. So it really makes sense for us to stay in touch <laughs> with our tribe. Not only our subscriber base, but our subscribers represent those who support our mission and want to help us do it. So uh, there's there's three pillars that are strong out of 100%, 30%, uh, there's actually four pillars, but the three strong ones, 30% is the right message. 30% is the right frequency. You want to be in touch with people, not too often, but in a regular rhythm and, and the right person, right message, right rhythm. 10% is how it looks. Doesn't need to look too fancy like you're spending a lot of money. It's top of mind marketing. So our sponsor is WordSprint. WordSprint is helping us now design some new marketing programs so that we are in touch with a new market that, that needs to know about our work. So wordsprint.com. Bill Gilmer and his team will have, have two and a half million mailings and 20 years of expertise. And they do work for lots of nonprofits, universities, businesses, and they help basically help us stay at the top of the mind of people who we know can support us. We give them a reason to support us and to continue supporting us. So wordsprint.com, check it out. And I'm going to um, let people open their mic and uh, ask, ask you some questions and, um, or make a comment about, um, uh, about what you're talking about. And then we're gonna come back and talk a little bit more about how the organization runs and what thoughts that you might have for people. Uh, Mr. Rash, I see you're on there from uh, in our neighborhood, um, Maria, down in Bedford. Do you have have a question or a comment for our guest today? Oh, I'm just very, very good. First of all, hello, and how are you? And I'm very, very happy to hear about the work you're doing locally. And, um, and you know, you it sort of reminds me also a little of Mitzi Perdue's uh, interview that you had. Uh, yes. But... I just want, I want to, I want to commend you on, on your work 
and just say to you that uh, if there if there are any young people from the who come across your institute, your organization, and your desk who are from the local Muslim community who might need the services uh, of our staff, uh, we have of course we have a lot of things that we offer through Legacy International. Uh, globally, but also we also have a World Community Education Center, counselors and mentors uh, and, uh, here in, in Bedford. So I just want to offer that to you and thank you very much for the work you're doing. And I, I'm not surprised because a lot of our people, you know, start in one, think they're, they get educated in one area and they become controllers or trainers or something else in a totally different area. So this is a as you say, it's a calling from from God for, from to to uh, to bring you to where you have to be to be most effective in helping people transform their lives. Congratulations! Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate that encouragement. Legacy International does great work with young people around around the globe, and um, not only in Bedford, but certainly certainly in in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And speaking of um, youth and philanthropy and and helping. Um, Bob Hopkins was talking uh, today just about young people that, that he teaches in, in the local uh, colleges saying, um, geez, I really need some help getting, getting a leg up in education. Bob, do you have a question or a comment for the guests? I see your mic is muted. Come on in. Okay, I think I'm here now. Am I yes, here you now? You are here. Well, I'm from Dallas and um, you were here in Dallas. I cannot believe what you were involved in. And it was amazing what you said four years ago. You who would know that you'd be doing what you're doing? I think that's the case with most of us here. Um, thank God for the nonprofit sector who's able to maybe even attempt to solve some of these problems. No, I had no idea this was going on. I do know the foster system in Texas is broken. Basically, I hear that all the time, but I had no idea that there were people who were taking in foster children and then making money off of them. Um, and trafficking them. And I knew no trafficking is huge in Texas, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I guess I'm, I don't, I have um, something on my ears that I'm not listening or I'm not seeing it uh, and I'm hearing about it. I actually have access to students because I teach college and I teach high school kids in dual credit. What is the message that I can give to them? Obviously, we need a whole bunch of people involved in this topic. And how do we get more people? Can I get high school kids to, be involved in this in some way or another by giving them messages of, of the problem and try to find solutions? Wow, that's a great question. You know, I think you've got to cast vision for anybody to really be able to see something that, that they don't aren't necessarily inclined to see. Um, and I think you being a professor, teacher puts you in the perfect, gives you a platform to do that. Um, since you are in the Dallas area, I highly recommend checking out uh, the Poema Foundation. Um, they are doing amazing work and multifaceted work. So uh, it's kind of a, it's a Greek word, P-O-I-E-M-A is the foundation. Um, and if, if you are wanting to have any kind of training specifically for human trafficking, but even as far as like mentoring or courtroom advocacy, um, learning, I think, especially for younger people, learning the signs, uh, learning what to look for. I mean, the human trafficking thing is a moving target. 
you know, so you can't ever just learn enough and then you've got it down. So I would say just uh, get, getting education on what to look for. Um, but I would also say, um, man, think about foster kids growing up without any consistent family. Um, but imagine how lonely and hard it is to not have consistent friends. And I think as far as younger, younger people go, um, man, modeling and teaching compassion, you know, principles like these can definitely be instilled in teenagers. And if you can start teaching teens to see the vulnerable in their communities now, man, they are gonna be some really influential adults. And there's all kinds of opportunities for serving, you know, inner city ministry, that kind of stuff. I would say you can't get involved in that too soon. It's so important to put yourself in situations that are counter to what your normal life looks like. And I think that that sort of thing uh, would be really, really valuable for the kids you're teaching. Wow. Uh, are the national headquarters here in Dallas, did you say? Uh, the Poema Foundation is in Dallas, yes. Okay. Bob, I put, the, I put the link in the chat. You can click on it and go there, and I'll put it on the web page as well. So, Bob, it, it, would, it would occur to me, um, uh, Bob, I hosted an event for, for Bob's Network in uh, Youth and Philanthropy. And he's starting a program here in June, and we'll, I will certainly connect you. But we're we're queuing up to do another, maybe in, a, in two or three months, a youth and philanthropy conference. And and Bob would occur to me that maybe some of these these folks would like to get dip their toe in the philanthropy world because if you start focusing on how you can give to other people, it has remarkable remarkable impact on your own life and. And it's it's really it's an a, it's a conference is led by 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 youth, and they've been people that Bob has mentored over the years, and they're doing amazing things. So, Bob, what do you think of that idea? Is spreading it out through through uh, through this this impact living services as as participants? Yeah. Right. Well, how can you not get involved uh, after hearing what what is right in front of you and in your own city and I guess everywhere? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I will do. I'll jump in 100%, and um, I get need to. I, I will contact Poema, and I will get materials, and I will get connections, and see what we can do in all the programs I'm involved with with youth, and we'll talk about it. We certainly will, and see if we can't do something. Oh, that's amazing. That's really encouraging, Bob. I think you are really going to be grateful that that connection with Poema is going to be invaluable. Bob has educated me, and I've just known Bob for a little over a year. This, he's he's uh, he's got one book, but he's he should queue up for about ten more. But this is philanthropy misunderstood, and I've I've learned about philanthropy from Bob as have other people. So Bob, thank you for being here today. I see Jeffrey's got his mic unmuted. So you have a comment or question? Yeah, I just I just Maria, I just echo Mr. Rash's comments and just thank you for what you're doing and for for the heart that you have for these these ajots and I'm, I'm real familiar with impact i actually lived in the neighborhood and worked in the neighborhood where your headquarters is and and i know paul and several other folks there and i'm very well aware of the work that you're doing and how important it is and what i really appreciate you doing is getting this information out 
so that people understand. I think the number of people that that are aware of the statistics for these kids and youth that are aging out of foster care, I just don't think anybody understands the number of, of pregnancies and trafficking and incarcerations and homelessness and just over and over all of these horrible outcomes for these these youth who didn't ask for any of this. Right. And just that there's just, I mean, they're, they're basically 18 year old orphans and, and they have no, they have no family when they turn 18 and the outcomes are just awful and just really grateful for impact and, and all you are doing to try and step in and, and give them a, not necessarily giving them a family, but giving them hope and, and becoming a substitute family for them and, and interjecting and making a difference in their lives. It's just beyond critical. Thank you for that encouragement. And thank you for being a good neighbor to them. Yay. So I'm gonna let y'all go back to um, uh, watching and thank you for your, your comments. So Maria, let's talk um, first, the, what Jeffrey just mentioned, the, um, the uh, oops, Bob's, I brought you in the wrong place. So, um, Maria, talk about the organization and what makes it thrive. What about the organization is, makes it work? I mean, you, you work in probably middle management. Um, you're not the top leader of the organization, but you certainly know the structure. And the, I've seen a lot of organizations that don't work well. This one obviously does work well. So yeah. speak a little bit about what makes this work really well. Sure. Um, well, there has to be partnership on both sides. And what I mean by that is, you know, you can have a, you can have the best programming and system in place, but if you don't have somebody that also wants to do their fair share and work and, you know, strive for independence and success for their own, for their, for themselves, um, it doesn't work. But what we have, and I would say the thing that, that makes us, uh, distinctive is we really focus on relationships. Um, their biggest issue is relational poverty. You know, like I said, they don't, they, most of them just don't have people. And so everything we do is very holistic and relational. Uh, practically speaking, one of, the, one of the most unfortunate outcomes for youth who age out is homelessness. One out of every five is homeless before they're 19. So we try to remove barriers that lead to failure. One of those, we provide a home in a safe neighborhood. And so what that looks like is um, usually a, a youth who is aging out of foster care, their social services worker will contact us if they think that they'd be a good candidate for our program. And um, then they will move into an apartment in a safe neighborhood where we have um, caseworkers that live on site. They don't actually live with the youth. It's not like a compound or anything like that, but they have, they have their own apartments in the neighborhood so that they are accessible to our youth for emergencies and for training and just proximity. But these youth come and live in a normal neighborhood that is safe and is uh, close to opportunities for education and close to opportunities for entry-level work and um, and we we give them a weekly grocery stipend so they learn how to you know go get groceries for a week at a time take care of an apartment 
Um, and then, like I said, we do life skills training. We have people who come and just help, you know, they come in and we help them set up goals, long-term goals and some short-term goals. And we try to do uh, everything we can to help them meet all of those goals so that by the time they turn 21, they are ready to launch on their own. We also have a behavioral health team. So we've got professional counselors who are um, basically, they are trained strategically for, to, to help with emotional and behavioral issues like with youth like ours. Um, and so we have people who specialize with, specialize in addiction, who specialize in um, sexualized behavior a lot. Not, not all children, but it is very likely that children who experience some form of sexual abuse um, will in turn eventually become a sexual abuser. Um, again, that's not always the case, but it is likely. And so we have counselors who, are, who specialize in helping children like that so that they don't repeat cycles of dysfunction. Um, so like I said, we offer professional counseling. Um, we try to help them reach their education goals. You know, for some of them, that means going to college. For some of them, that means trade school. For some of them, um, school isn't their thing, but they have skill sets that they can already use in the workforce. And so we do everything we can to try to help them get their education and get them in a steady job so that they can succeed on their own. We try to help them get their driver's license because transportation is a major barrier to holding down a job. And so, um, yeah, we, we help them get their driver's licenses. We help them, uh, we help them by giving them no interest loans for, to, to purchase a car that they can, that they can have when they graduate from our program. Um, and yeah, we just try to remove all of the barriers to success so that they can, when they turn 21, they've got a team of people that are in it for the long haul <laughs> and um, know them, love them, are cheering them on and that they have everything they need to be able to find and live successfully, hold down a job, and, and move forward from what they were pulled out of when they were children. That is so great. That is so great. So um, we didn't ever get to any, it's, I know it's a huge problem. Do you wanna share some of the statistics with us so we have a feel? And, and it probably has not gotten better in the last year. Uh, this is my guess. I don't know, but um, I heard you a while back, but some of the hard numbers were just amazing to me, shocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. 25% are incarcerated within their first year of adulthood. Um, one, out, of, out of foster care? Uh, yes. Those who are aging out. So before they turn 19, 25% of them are incarcerated. Oh, wow. One out of every five is homeless by, by the time they're 19. Um, three out of four girls are pregnant before the age of 21, and by that I mean usually single moms who don't have stable living conditions. Fewer than 4% graduate from college, and only half are employed by the age of 24. So, you know, conversely, if you, if you develop a relationship with a person in your community who is experiencing homelessness, um, and you should, because <laughs> they're your neighbors, um, 
the vast majority of them at some point in their childhood were in the system. So, you know, there's, there's just, when you are investing in the life of a foster child or a youth aging out, you are, you are literally changing outcomes, not just for them, but for your city. Um, you are taking, you are taking on the homelessness issue in your city. You are taking on the unemployment rate in your city. You know, it's, it's bigger than just one kid. It's, it's the outcomes of an entire population, an entire city. So yeah, the stats are stacked against them. We need a kind of need a village to come around them to help change those statistics. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Jeffrey says, Virginia has the highest percentage of age outs in the U.S. We're the worst. Um, the Commonwealth of Virginia is the worst of all of the, the 50 states. That's, that's quite amazing. Um, and I, it's not that we're ignorant, but most of us are just doing our day-to-day -day stuff, and this is invisible to us. So um, our, it's, it's fascinating. Over seven years, we've had um, many types of guests on the nonprofit exchange, and last week was really hard points how to be a better leader or specific things you can do and this one's heart centered about here is a story of of a nonprofit that's making an impact on a particular leader that's in there and we all need inspiration that yes we make a difference so we have mostly nonprofit leaders listening and clergy but we're people too so how do we as aside from our jobs but also with our jobs how, how does the average person not connected with the foster care system or, or impact? How does somebody work in this space and, and make a difference? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, you can become a foster parent. <laughs> um, and you can do that through, you know, every, in any city, you can do that through Department of Social Services. But here in Virginia, um, we have a foster care placement program uh, through Impact Living Services. So... Um, if you, if any of this, if you are local or you live in Lynchburg, Roanoke, Harrisonburg, Richmond, or Fairfax, um, we would love to invite you to consider being a foster parent through Impact. We provide a lot of support for our foster families, and there are a lot of kids who need a lot of help. So um, if any of this has resonated with you and you think you might be able to become a foster parent, please check out our website and, and find out more because we need foster parents. Um, outside of that, uh, we need mentors and that can look like a hundred different things. Um, it, we need people that will regularly be in their lives, but we also need people that are going to, uh, potentially bring them in to teach them a trade, bring them in to give them volunteer experience, bring them in to give them work experience, or maybe even just come talk to them about different careers. One of the things that we do is we have a monthly mandatory training and, um, you know, it's hard to get all their schedules together, but once a, once a month, they all know I've got to be at this training. And we have a variety of topics and a variety of speakers, but we're always welcoming in people that can tell them about different career opportunities or help them think about, you know, how they're, how they're wired, what their personality might be wired for as far as type of career work. So just professionally even giving them things to think about and pathways to pursue jobs and careers that they may not have ever thought about or been exposed to. Um, they just need people and they need relationships and they need people that are gonna say, that are gonna come and say, I see you. 
and and I'm going to help however I can. Here's what I have to offer. So I'm I'm a nonprofit leader. I'm a clergy. I've got a community. How is how can we step up as a community to support, collaborate, uh, whatever with uh, with impact? Yeah. So we've got a few different we. We've got a few different ways um, that you can either volunteer or support financially. Um, this is the first year that we have ever done fundraising. We have never ever in our almost 10 years of existence, never done any kind of fundraising. And we are doing that now because uh, currently the, the majority of the population that we serve is already in the system. They are receiving state services and we are you know, relationally helping them out but we really would love to help vulnerable people. We want to widen our reach basically to families and individuals who aren't yet needing state services, but are on the brink. We'd really love to prevent foster care from even having to be in the conversation and get on the front end of it. Uh, helping, helping families to heal from the inside. Um, so we'd love to offer prevention. We love to offer aftercare for some of the youth who maybe have completed our program, but you know, especially those that are new parents and are 21 years old and still maybe need a little bit of extra help. Uh, we wanna be able to continue to offer, again, just people and resources to help them live independently. So some of the help that, that people, some of the ways people can get involved is financial. Um, if you go to impactlivingservices.org, you can find out how you can sponsor a youth or help with an apartment setup cost. Every time we get a brand new youth, the first thing we do, and they come with virtually nothing, the first thing we do is um, go, go to the grocery store or Walmart and get them a bunch of essentials so that they can actually live. Our apartments are furnished, but they need shampoo and they need towels and they need, you know, I don't know, duct tape, things that you don't think about, <laughs> things that you don't think about until you're living on your own in an apartment. So, um, you know, you can help sponsor through an apartment setup. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's got a variety of needs on there, but uh, I would say also just if you are someone that could see yourself mentoring and investing in the lives of these youth, uh, please reach out to me. Please contact me on our, through our website. Uh, I would be happy to talk to you and hear a little bit about your own heart and story and figure out how we can get you serving. Yes, 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 yes. So um, yeah, Jeffrey says that it, people who want to foster should do it through your organization. Um, so it's a much better experience working through your organization than the government maybe. Um, so what, what we know from Center Vision, helping people define their vision. So from where you sit, um, what is uh, the vision for impact? Uh, and you're doing a great job now. What's the vision for the future? Can you share that? Yeah. Well, I think it, a little bit of what I just said, where we are wanting to widen our reach. Um, you know, when every system, the, the foster care system is broken. You hear that all the time. And I'll say that they, my husband and I just became certified foster parents through our local Lynchburg DSS. Um, and I will say, man, what an extraordinary team of people. You know, I, the training we received, the heart of the social workers, um, 
man, it is a broken system, but there are so many people who are doing everything they can to try to help these families. So I, I say all that to say, um, it is a broken system and every system is gonna be broken to an extent. Uh, we wanna get in front of the system and as, as much as we are capable of doing and we believe in family and we believe in relationships. And, um, and so if we can get on the front of the system needing to get involved, then that would be a huge win. If we can prevent these statistics from even becoming a potential, that would be a huge win. If we can help um, just families that are on the brink stay together because they had people getting into their lives and seeing them and helping meeting some of those needs and helping them to learn interdependence and then independence before the state has to come in, man, that would change the community. Really good vision. So thank you for being our guest today. It's um, important work and more people need to know about this kind of work. Cause we, if you look at the news, you get really discouraged and getting out in front of the problem, um, getting out in front of the system. You know, we, we've been able to rethink systems in the pandemic and that's probably one of the blessings. I see churches reinventing church and they figured out we shouldn't have been doing this stuff anyway. So now that we haven't done it, now we're going to do things that are critical and are point and are, are so important. And we're not having to put energy into things that are productive and maybe aren't our primary calling. So it's been a good time to, to rethink things. And there's no going back to what it was, no normal, whatever normal means, but it's a good chance to, to be aggressive and assertive and move into a new space. And I commend you, it looks like you've worked through this whole pandemic and, and stayed strong and stayed relevant and maintained the, the work. And it, I know that it's a big problem out there and I know that you're, you're making a difference. You, singular and you, plural. Um, so um, our language is insufficient sometimes. So it's important impact. So what do you wanna leave people with today? A final thought. Hmm. Um, I would say, don't, don't be afraid. I think, I think the foster care world scares a lot of people. Um, but I just want to say there are a lot of people, there are a lot of neighbors that you have that just need a lot of help getting through the day. And um, God absolutely can use you to help bring transformation to another person's life. And so trust him with that um, and ask him for an opportunity to to do just that. That's how I ended up at Impact through prayers and God just dropping the most unexpected gift in my lap. And um, it's radically changed my life. And I am um, excited to encourage you all to ask that same kind of prayer of God. I think you'll be surprised how he answers. Open up your mind, there's opportunity. Be aware of the call. Thank you yeah. for, for sharing your heart today. Yeah, thank you. You take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>